Blog Talk Radio. We got misguided people in this world who turn to violence and use guns and sometimes innocent people like you and me get caught in the middle of it. Well, what's wrong with them? Baby, I don't know. They need change in their lives.
We want to welcome you to Black Wall Street USA for Thursday, January 20th, 2011. I'm Sonia Cassandra Perdue, founder of Chicago's BlackBusinessNetwork.com and executive producer of CBBN on Blog Talk Radio. Our host, Mr. Ron Carter, chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago, publisher of the South Street Journal, and candidate for Alderman for the 17th Ward here in Chicago, will be joining us shortly. Every Thursday evening, tune into Black Wall Street USA. Join us from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Thursday evenings and be part of sustaining and increasing black businesses across the country. We celebrated one year on Blog Talk Radio, and the show's focus for 2011 will be national. We will reach out to organizations across the nation in our efforts to connect the dots, the spiritual dots of our people across this land. We will bring forth ideas and agendas that are already in place and let the, know, and let the nation know what works. We know what works, and we want to share that with you. Our ongoing topic for Black Wall Street USA will be what did black America accomplish in 2010, and what is the number one priority for our communities in 2011? And although we will, we will be moving forward uh, and connecting across the country to reach out to our communities, we will continue to keep you updated on what's going on in the Chicagoland area. Black Wall Street USA is the official broadcast of Black Wall Street National thanks to the support of our national office. You can listen to our shows at www.blackwallstreetdistrict.com. Our show link is right there on the main page at blackwallstreetdistrict.com. You may also listen to a rebroadcast of the show on WJPC Chicago, Saturday mornings from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Soon, very soon, within the next few weeks, all of our shows will be rebroadcast on WJPCChicago.com. So listen for the announcement. And later in the show, we will give you a little bit more information about our new lineup of shows. This is Black Wall Street USA, and our calling number is 347-326-9477, The chat room is open. Leave your company information and website links in the chat room. That's how we stay connected. That is how we connect. Press the number one, if you would, please. If you would like to speak to our host, our guest, or you have a question or comment, we invite you to join us. Mr. Rod Sawyer, candidate for Alderman for the Sixth Ward in Chicago, will be our guest this evening. Mr. Sawyer has called the Sixth Ward home his entire life, and we, of course, know that he is the son of the Honorable Eugene Sawyer, former mayor of Chicago. We appreciate that he has taken the time to be with us this evening, and he will be joining us in a few minutes. The National President of Black Wall Street, Reverend Michael Carter Sr., joined us as host last week, and you can listen to that show in our archives. You can listen to all of our shows in our archives. Just go to blogtalkradio.com slash cbbn and click on the show for January 13th. Michael, we do appreciate you. I'm Sonia Perdue, and you're listening to Black Wall Street USA. And before we move on and have our hosts join us, uh, we know there's going to be some great dialogue with these two candidates for Alderman. We want to make a few announcements first. Tonight, as we speak, over in the 17th Ward, and as part of the 17th Ward movement, the GO, a division of the South Street Journal, is hosting an open mic for all ages at Vaughn's Banquet Hall, located at 6637 South Ashland in Chicago. 
If you got talent, that's where you should be tonight. The mic is open until 11 p.m. And if you have any questions, you can still reach Miss Felicia at 708-510-3240. I'll repeat that for you. Miss Felicia is standing by at 708-510-3240. We're expecting an update from them over at Vons later in the show. Also, ETS Events, in conjunction with the South Street Journal, will be hosting a community resource and job fair on January 25th. That's a Tuesday. That's next Tuesday from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at Bond Elementary School at 7050 South May. That's in the 17th Ward. You can reach Stanley of ETS Events at 708-362-3125. That's 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. We suggest that you show up early. That's 7050 South May at Bond Elementary School. We've heard some great things about Stanley Martin's job fairs. You should be there. We want to be sure that we share this information with you about the job fair so that you can share with others, and we will post this information in our chat room. Coming up later in the show, we'll make some more announcements, so stay with us. And right now, uh, before I bring the chairman on there, I just want to make one more announcement, just one more. Hakima Muhammad and Tori Muhammad, who is the founder of Beans Through Times, I just want to reach out and thank them for an article that they did on Chicago's Black Business Network this month. You can visit BeansSoupTimes.com. And you can check out our article. And we appreciate you. We certainly do appreciate you for everything that you do. This is Black Wall Street, USA. And let's bring the chairman on the air. Ron, are you there? How are you this evening? Hello. How are you, Sonia? Doing great. Hello. As usual. Okay, good. I'm doing great. Oh, you can hear me? Great. Uh, I can hear tell you. Us what's going on? Oh, what's going on? on Yeah. uh, Well, today we had our committee meeting. We had two meetings in one. We had a meeting with uh, our board. We had a meeting with our committee. And I had a meeting with uh, the mayoral candidate, uh, Mr. Rahm Emanuel, today. And along with that, uh, naturally, I had to throw the Black Wall Street agenda on his plate and he said he's going to get back with me in 24 hours. Is that so, right? I can't wait to get an update on that. Yeah, so that agenda was our focus on parity on the automatic menu. And also, as we produce now, we're up to about 14 Black Wall Street districts. And at the same time, we had a special guest at our meeting today, was uh, General Parker. You missed that. He came by the office today from Peoria, Illinois, to give us a report on what Peoria, Illinois is doing. And at the same time, we got a meeting tomorrow with our Black Wall Street in Gary, Indiana. Uh, So we are expanding our wings, Um, even though we're still learning how to fly with them, but we're definitely getting off the ground. So There's a lot going on with Black Wall Street Chicago, and no offense to the nation, but we're on a roll. So we want the nation to come (laughs) on up with uh, Black Wall Street Chicago as we got our 14 districts in the city of Chicago. 
we're going to want the nation to come on with us, and uh, naturally the nation got to surpass Black Wall Street Chicago with our intense agenda. But as you know, it's not easy. It's easily said and done, but we are focused. And matter of fact, even with that in mind, we had one of our board members walk into our office, Miss um, uh, June Northley. She walked in here and going to ask the question, "What's going on? What's going on?" Even though she wasn't at the board meeting today, nor she was at the, at the committee meeting. But she's going to actually uh, go tell me, uh, I was going to take you out to uh, to dinner, knowing that I got this radio program tonight. She's going to throw that at me. But we got a good group of people working with uh, Black Wall Street. It gets intense because we got those growing pains going with this intense agenda that we have. So a lot's going on as naturally uh, I missed most of the show last week where General Parker was on and our national president, uh, Michael Carter, was on. And then we had uh, Mr. Cotton from Oakland, California, was on. And uh, so we are definitely expanding uh, the uh, Chicago's Black Business Network blog radio throughout the nation as we come back here uh, having our local focus in Chicago and with a longtime associate that's running in the sixth ward, Mr. Roderick uh, Sawyer. And so we definitely have some uh, issues and some concerns that we want to talk to him as we still look at the other candidates uh, that's going to be in the February 22nd election how they see the agenda of Black Wall Street and the legislative uh, focus for the city council as it relates to our districts and as it relates to parity of the contracts in the city of Chicago. So we're on the move here, Sonia. You definitely are. You listen to Black Wall Street USA, and I think that um, the nation does have a lot to do to catch up. What's going on here? Uh, you recruited some new uh, Black Wall Street districts in the past month, and uh, I think that maybe as we move across the nation, that uh, I think they're going to catch up with you, Ron. I think it's just it's a big job to do, but I think as we move across the nation and take this show where I have a vision for it to go, and that is city to city. Uh, we started with Benton Harbor. We're going to we're going move to New York, and uh, we're just going to keep going and reaching out to the community organizations in these areas. And uh, I think as we do and as we bring Michael back to the show and keep the focus national, keep the uh, local flavor, but keep the focus national, uh, I think that we will see an increase in the number of Black Wall Street districts across the nation. So that's very exciting, Ryan. Keep up the good work. Now, what I'd like to do, let's check and see if Mr. Rod Sawyer, I guess, is on the line here. Uh, he does have another engagement, so we want to get him on and get this going. With your permission, Chairman, let's check and see. Welcome to Black Wall Street USA. Mr. Sawyer, is that you on the line? Hello. Do you hear me? Yes, Mr. Sawyer. Yes, I can hear you. Welcome to, hey, great. Welcome to Black Wall Street USA. Thank you very much for having me this evening. Okay, it's our pleasure. How are you doing there, Mr. Sawyer? Everything's good, Brother Carter. How are you? Always good to hear from you. 
Yeah, that's right, that's right. So um, this here is, uh, I do want to get into some background on who you are because you definitely have a name, a historical name behind you. Uh, and with that, can you give us a, a relationship to that, that, that historical name that you have that's already in plant, that's already planted called the City Hall? Well, thank you very much, and I am certainly proud to say that I am the youngest son of uh, former Alderman and former Mayor Eugene Sawyer. Uh, but I, and I, that was my teacher and my mentor, someone that I learned most everything from, especially as it relates to community involvement and political activity. But in my own right, I am a lawyer. Uh, I've been a lawyer now for 20 years. I've been born and raised in the Sixth Ward, still live in the exact same community where, where I was born, and raise my family now. Order. I am proud to have say that I have two children. Uh, both have uh, attended public school in the ward. Uh, my practice is in the ward, on, 70, on proud to say on 75th Street, in the Black Wall Street District. Okay. And I am very active in a lot of community activities uh, from Park Manor Neighbors to Chatham Avalon. I uh, just left my Myron Park Advisory Council meeting, which is down the street on 71st, 72nd, and a variety of other uh, community activities, ETA Creative Arts, South Shore Drill Team. You know, I served on the boards of those, and at McDay Classical School, which is also in the ward. Mm-hmm. So um, here you are getting ready to run for Alderman other six wards. Why? Well, partially of the things I just listed, I am invested in this community. I'm born and raised here, and I think it's my obligation to give back in the form of public service, and I'm happy to do that because I do this every day. Sometimes someone always tells you that the thing that you should do is the thing that you should do for free, the thing that you would do no matter whether someone paid you or not. And that's what I do every day. You know, I try to assist people in in everyday activities from uh, any kind of community activity, any community concern that comes about. I'm always there, and I try to be helpful whenever I can. And that's the true reason. Run, I, I'm committed to service, and I'm committed to serving my community. Well, what's wrong with the present autumn? The present alderman, uh, I think that where I think the present alderman lacks in is primarily service delivery. When I say service delivery, uh, you know, you want to make sure that your constituents get return calls back in a prompt manner, whether the issue is resolved or not. You, you want to be also a little more proactive. You want to be interactive with your residents and your business community. And that's something that I really have not seen in the in the most recent years that uh, the current alderman has been there. So is there, I understand what I'm hearing is there is a failure of communications from the present alderman, but is there any legislative or direct action of the current alderman that you feel is warranted not only for her to be replaced, but for you to take her place? Well, obviously, I was deeply troubled by the parking meter decision where the Colonel Alderman voted in favor of it. It was something that, um, and let me just backtrack just slightly. I've, I've had a relationship with the Alderman for several years. I, I do know her very well. I've known her for over 20 years. And I have been called on from time to time to, uh, to assist in, in ward matters. 
and this was just something that I just could not sit back and stomach any longer. That that vote uh, was just, you know, in, in addition to the vote, the next two budgets we used all the money up. You know, we had a we did a 1.1 billion dollar deal, we meaning the city, in two days. I'm a lawyer, and I do licensing and other zoning activities for the city. It takes me six months to get a zoning change for a client. They did a $1.15 billion deal in the span of two days. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody even read the lease. You know, Obviously, we see how bad it is now, but we can't get out of it because nobody even had spent the time to look at it to see the ins and outs of it and ask appropriate questions. That's now, what I'm concerned about. That question was raised at another forum, and Alderman Carrie Austin stood up because I believe she's the uh, she's the chair of the budget committee, That's and correct. she stood up proudly and, and made her remarks that she voted for that, and she knew that she had to close that big deficit, and she had to do that, and she had to close that deficit fast. So she said, yes, I voted for it, and I voted for it. Now that deficit is gone, even though we still have another one that followed the year after. But uh, is there any, uh, uh, I guess, leverage of the alderman moving fast to close that deficit that the city had? Well, is that the reason- justification? I think I can answer that a little bit. The reason that the the alderman chose to vote for that budget, if you remember during that time, it was at the end of the year. It was after they had already passed a budget. They needed that one point portion of that one point one five billion dollars to close the budget gap on the budget they had already voted for. That was the major problem. And that's lack of planning. You know, if you knew that you were going to be short that's just like going into a restaurant, ordering the lobster, and you know you had hamburger money in your pocket. But you just hoped that somebody was going to come in and just bail you out at the very end. And somebody well, did. But at what cost? Let me ask you is this. Um, and I think that probably maybe you went through the same process. You know that I'm a candidate in the uh, 17th Ward. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Uh, the question was from the uh, Chicago Tribune was that is there a alderman presently on the city council that you think is doing a fairly good job? I believe that certain aldermen do good in certain areas. So I, I would say that. Mm-hmm. Is there a like I would agree, like the, the few aldermen that did vote against the parking meter, I applaud them for that, for having the foresight to do that. And I think so they were only, what, four or five of those alderman. aldermen. Pardon? Um, I think it was I mean, four or five of those aldermen. An alderman that have an overall good track record at representing her ward at city council and also being a independent leader on the city council. Can you identify one that fits that category? Well, the one that I would think about at the top of my head is no longer there, and that would be uh, Alderman Tony Preckwinkle. Okay. So taking the uh, the big picture that there is a 
a focus that the city council may have at least close to about 20 new aldermen on the city council and a new mayor, naturally. How do you foresee your role? Do you think that uh, that brings a new direction for the city of Chicago, or do you think that it will basically be the same, given uh, approximately 20 new aldermen and a new mayor? Well, I can speak for myself, and I hopefully maybe that you may agree with me to, to a certain extent, Ron, that the bulk of the aldermen coming in are, are not going to be, uh, well, hopefully, they're not going to be bought by any special interest. I have no special interest campaign money coming my way. I don't know if you do or not. I doubt if you do. You know, but if we are successful, but Coming if we are ground? successful, I'm sorry. Are you gonna rub that in the ground? <laughs> well, if I'm rubbing in the ground, I'm rubbing it on myself too. So, right. you know, because I'm not seeking it, and I I don't look for it, and I'm not expecting it because I I want to maintain my independence, and what I like to do is I love research. I love information. I think you do too, as being a newspaper guy and the things that you've been involved in. Uh, I love to get information and make decisions based on accurate information, not based on who told me to do something. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so you know, what are some of the um, priorities you see? Uh, before I do that, um, are you familiar with the Chicago Metropolitan Area Planning? I'm vaguely familiar. I, I, I look at their uh, sites sometimes. Yes, I am. And, and Mr. Um, the gentleman's name, uh had the opportunity to speak to him on several occasions. Um, so you, do you know generally what that concept is of CMAP? Or? Well, I have a, a, a general understanding about their uh, long-term planning for the for city of Chicago. You see there's any relationship to the Sixth Ward and as it relates to the black community? No, I'm not familiar with any direct relationship they may have to the Sixth Ward. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, can you give a, a a vision? The Sixth Ward is primarily, if, you, if I can say, one of the most uh, stable communities in the black community, even though it do have its concerns and its issues, and it do have pockets of uh, uh, of trouble. But overall, it is one of the most stable black communities in the city of Chicago, and it seems as though it's on self-pilot, if you may, self-pilot. If I can compare uh, a non-black community to the sixth ward would be the 19th Ward of the Beverly area. And the 6th Ward is, if I can recall, probably have almost a greater base of uh, voter turnout than uh, close to the 19th Ward. So how do you represent a ward that is pretty much stable? And when I say self-pilot, that means that you do have a great representation of community involvement, of, of community organizations. Uh, yes, you do have issues, but when you drive through the neighborhoods uh, of the Sixth Ward, the, uh, the property owners 
generally and mostly keep their community, I mean, keep their properties up. The, the grass is 90% taken care of throughout the whole ward. What's the issue? I mean, what's the concern of the residents based uh, other than the, the city concerns of uh, taxes and education? So what's the concern in the uh, sixth ward? Well, being a lifelong member of the sixth ward, uh, at one point in time, you are correct, Ron, we did have a community full of manicured lawns and well-maintained properties. Over the last several years, not so much. You know, we have seen an upsurge in, in lack of maintenance, lack of basic city services. We have streets that have not been repaired. We have trees that are not being trimmed. We have lights that are out. I just drove here to my campaign office from the Myron Park, which is only about 10 blocks away, and we saw two areas uh, that had lights out. You know, people okay. may not consider that a, a big thing. I consider that a big thing because when it's dark and cluttered and 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 think no services, that's what breeds crime. Mm-hmm. You know, things are light and vibrant and clean. You know, it's less likely to be crime, criminal activity there. So I'm, I mean, these are the things I'm concerned about. They're bread and butter issues. They're automatic issues. Alderman mm-hmm. is supposed to be the service office and the legislative body of the city council. These are the things we need to be concentrating on. You know, I've listened to a lot of candidates and a lot of uh, rhetoric about how they're going to uh, stop crime, they're going to reform this, and they're going to do that. The job of aldermen is a very basic and simple job. You provide services to the constituents, you legislate. Those are your two primary functions. Of course, you do other things as a community leader, and you do things because they're the right things to do, but you really should be focusing on those two basic issues in order for you to become an effective alderman. Service, well, um, legislation. Right. Now, can you distinguish the role of the alderman when it comes to being a legislator and also a a people servant, per se? Uh, if I can use the term, the alderman does not sign the streets and sanitations check. That is an administrative. But sometimes, do you? How do you handle that when voters? be concerned about the administrative functions of the ward that does not really fall in the category of the uh, alderman? Well, when you're talking about the administrative functions, uh, the alderman has a ward superintendent. Ward superintendent, an alderman is only going to be as good as their ward superintendent. Ward superintendent is primarily responsible for things like garbage pickup, street cleaning, and the like. Those things are basic city services. Those other city services, uh, they took a lot away when they instituted 311. You know, they tell you to call 311 and get that things done. But an alderman's function goes a little further in that when you get a constituent a request for service, you're supposed to be in the position where you can call someone in those particular departments, the Bureau of Electricity, Department of Transportation, Streets and Sanitation. You know, you have to know who to contact to get things done, water department. You may have a variety of city services that are really not under your purview, but as a servant of the community, you're supposed to be in a position to have communication with these individuals and make sure that you get these services done for your constituents, or you're just not going to get voted in, and that's the problem. Now, the um, there is talk about 
decentralizing streets and sanitation where it is a representation of maybe a superintendent that will represent maybe about five or six wards. Are you familiar with that concept? And would you I read about the concept, and same with the garbage collection, and they want to move it to grid systems and things of that nature. I think that would be somewhat of a concern because, you know, you, you have to have some accountability because when your, your residents contact someone, they're going to contact you. And if those things aren't done, they're going to blame you for those. That's going to be your fault, no matter that district superintendent did it or did not do it. You know, and, and then it takes it away from you. You will not, no longer be responsible, but you will get the blame for it. So I'm a little uh -huh. bit concerned about that, and I would have to read about it a little more. I did look at it, and I, I had raised some concerns uh, when I discussed it. Uh, we discussed it at some of the editorial board meetings, and the Tribune in particular. And mm -hmm. I did express a reservation and concern about it. Mm -hmm. Now, um, given that here we are on uh, Chicago's Black Business Network and also um, the program of Black Wall Street, and uh, maybe an update for you is that now Black Wall Street, we started off with one Black Wall Street district, which is in your ward in the, yes. on 75th Street, and now we're up to uh, 14. 14 Pardon? No, I think I heard 14. Yeah, we're up to 14 Black Wall Street districts, which includes uh, Gary, Indiana, and also Peoria, Illinois. What is your perception, and what do you think is the community perception of these Black Wall Street districts popping up around Chicago? Well, my particular um, desire is that we start utilizing our business districts as focal shopping points. We need to start spending money with each other, start getting that money circulating. I think that was your goal for Black Wall Street. Black Wall Street is, you know, when you mention the term Wall Street, you term the term where money is transferred and circulated and, and you're making people wealthy because of the generation of money in that particular area. I grew up on 75th Street, was born and raised right there on 74th Street, so I remember 75th Street when it was a vibrant business district where all these black businesses were there, where you were able to walk. And it was an entertainment hub. I don't know if you, people remember that. 75th Street was a hot entertainment hub. You could oh, yeah, walk from the Urbanite to the El Matador to the apartment to Lurleen's to, you know, different places. And people enjoyed themselves, had a good time. There was, there was not the incidence of crime that we have now because the streets were active and they were vibrant. There were no abandoned storefronts, no abandoned buildings, and they were full of black businesses there. That's what I envision, uh, my vision for that black Wall Street. I don't know if that coincides with yours, but that's what my idea of it is. Well, the again, the other part of that question is, what do you feel as though is the perception of the community at large when we talk about black Wall Street? The community, I, I would hope that they would think similarly, but I think the community has concerns about safety, about accessibility, which I, I think are things that we can address if we get people to
patronize these businesses. First, you, you got to start by patronizing these businesses in these uh, Black Wall Street districts. We're not going to get anywhere if we don't raise the awareness. Matter of fact, we, we've been involved in this will be our second week this Saturday in a business coalition on up and down 75th and 79th Street where they're holding forums and we've been participating in them. Uh, and the, part of the form is for them to get to know candidates running for office in the area, but also to get to know the businesses. And the businesses are having giveaways so that they can highlight. The, I, I met someone that lived on 73rd and Calumet did not know Brown Sugar was on 75th Street, for example. Mm-hmm. Never been there. But when they left there, they did, and they bought something when they were there. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a good start. Okay. Well, let me ask you another initiative that falls in line with a legislative agenda of the city council is that Black Wall Street has proposed that the automatic menu of of about I think it's about one point seven million dollars that the alderman decides how that money is going to be spent in their uh, respective ward. And as they decide how that money is going to be spent, they don't decide who is going to get the work. That still goes through the, um, the contract procurement office of City Hall. Uh, the proposal is that the, the contract procurement of the automatic menu funds be under the jurisdiction of the alderman. What is your position idea. on that? I think Would that's an your... excellent idea. Pardon? I think that's excellent an excellent idea. idea. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, that is, uh, uh, I have to admit that you coming out with that's an excellent idea. Have you did a study on that for you to agree with it so so well, I think it's an idea worth looking into. I think that what we have, and I've seen work being done on 75th Street, for example, when they tore up 75th Street without the business's knowledge initially, and in addition to that, there were no black people working on those projects. There were no, you know, there were no, I don't even think there were local people working on the projects. And I think that had an alderman had the opportunity or the ability to have some input on who was going to do the work, and if it was me, I'd make sure that there would be some African-Americans out there doing work or African-Americans getting those contracts. Well, you know, there was a meeting last Tuesday. uh, I heard about it after the meeting had occurred, yeah. I'm sorry to hear you. I'm sorry, I did hear about it, but it wasn't after the meeting had occurred. Otherwise, I would have been there. Uh, There were approximately 15... Uh, automatic candidates there, and there was a representation from one alderman, uh, which so happens to be from the 17th Ward, and which they all agreed, uh, basically as you did, that it was an excellent idea. There are seven aldermen that are leaning toward that concept as well. Alderman Fioretti of the 2nd Ward indicated that he will lead that 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 motion. But as he stated that he was he will lead that motion, there were maybe about three aldermen that that uh concept was presented to and their reaction was that it's good and it sounds good, but we cannot follow that because it's a white alderman that's leading the charge. 
in city council. At that time, he was leading the charge. How do you feel uh, about that to the point that Alderman Fioretti of the second ward has took an, uh, a, a position to lead a, 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 I guess, a legislation or of an ordinance for parity of contracts of the automatic menu? I, I did read that in one of your uh, in some uh, literature I received, and did see that Alderman Fioretti was uh, out front on that issue. I mean, I commend Alderman Fioretti, you know, for being on this right side. I mean, I don't make an issue of it just because he's white. Uh, mm. You know, it's I would hope that one of the black aldermen would take a leadership position in that. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he's taking leadership, I'm not going to discount it just because he was the person that took the leadership position on it. Okay, is there any other type of legislation that you feel as though that you need to address or the council need to address as it relates to sustaining and increasing black businesses? Well, I think there should be some discussion about oversight on the contracts. Mm -hmm. You know, they took that away back in the 80s. They took that away from the oversight over the contracts. Well, there should be some automatic input on oversight on on certain on contracts over a certain level. You know, I'm not committing mm-hmm. to an amount because I want to make sure the amount is substantial enough where we have some input on some real contracting opportunities, but not so low as to overburden the contract on every five or ten thousand dollar contract that's being let. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Another question that's going about is that what is your position on the uh, city council approving gambling? Uh, what is your position and how would that be done, if it's done, neither being privately owned or owned by the government, or are you for gambling as a source of revenue to assist the city budget? Right now we are in serious financial difficulty. We have no idea how we're going to pay next year's budget, which I, they estimate to be at least $500 million in the red already. We have underfunded pensions. We need to start looking at other options to raise money. And I think gambling is one of those options we need to look at very seriously. But we need to look at it in terms of its impact on the community, its impact on our city as a as a, a, a tourism destination, and we also need to look at the social benefits of this. So, without you know, I, I am in favor of looking at it further. I think it's something that we should discuss very seriously, acknowledging that the problems that we have are dire right now. We have budget uh, shortfalls that, short of raising taxes, we have no real answers out there. You know, we can cut here, cut there, do certain things but we're still going to be left with a gaping budget hole unless we start doing something to protect us for the long term. And okay. gambling is a viable option. Okay. So uh, with the concept that it is the low-income people that's going to feed, I, I did hear you say uh, gambling as it can relate to tourism, uh, but do you feel as though the, the burden would be on low income trying to get that that uh, pot of gold. Well, Ron, as you well know, I know from the sixth ward you can go gamble fifteen minutes away from here legally. Where? 
right up south Chicago to Hammond, Indiana. Okay, I thought you were talking about down the street somewhere. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I said legally. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you can drive right up south Chicago and go hit a boat uh, in, in a matter of 15, 20 minutes from my ward. Mm-hmm. So, let, I mean, so the time that it takes you to get downtown, for example, you can go right across the border to Hammond, Indiana, and gamble in a matter of minutes. Or hit the Skyway, get there even quicker, right from my mm-hmm. ward, five, ten minutes. So let's stop thinking about, you know, people that gamble are going to gamble. Well, It's it's no longer is, a hindrance, uh, a geographical hindrance. You know, you don't have to go to Las Vegas anymore. You don't have to go to Atlantic City. You can go right down the street to Hammond, Indiana, and, and do what you feel that you have to do. Well, let so, me ask you, uh, what do you uh, see as black America's accomplishments, and what is this and should be its number one priority for our communities in 2011? If I can take that on a national level, that question on a national level, and also take it on a local level here in Chicago, and if you want to get a little bit more local for the sixth ward. So I guess those three different levels of what has been our uh, accomplishments on nationally, Chicago, and in the sixth ward, and the priorities of Black America for uh, the, on a national Chicago and the sixth ward as well. Well, I think our priorities, as it relates to Black people here in America, and like you said, locally here in the sixth ward, is getting people involved in some economic some economic benefit something so economic benefit i don't want to just say jobs you know business opportunities we need to start looking at people uh getting involved in something that will benefit them economically if they do that you won't have crime on the streets as much because if you got somebody either employed or successfully operating a business they're less likely standing on the street hitting you upside the head robbing you or selling drugs on the corner we have to start diverting all our resources towards improving ourselves economically. And I, I think that's what your goal is as doing the Black Wall Street. We have to do whatever we think is necessary to improve our financial state, nationally and locally. Okay, what do you feel as though black America has accomplished uh, in the year 2010? Not nearly enough because we still have high employment, unemployment rates. We still don't have enough uh, black brothers and sisters in their own businesses. I think we need to look at that uh, seriously. Black Wall Street is a good start, uh, you know, but we need to do more to get people towards that uh, employment opportunity or that entrepreneurial spirit to get them involved in operating businesses as opposed to uh, trying to take advantage of someone else and, and do things that were antisocial. Now, uh, another question. I know that you have to go to another event. Yes. There is a a, uh, a one question that has been raised was police relations in the black community. But prior to police uh uh, relations, which you would be in favor of investigating prosecutors in Chicago that have sentenced uh, innocent people to jail. 
and probably one of those prosecutors would be Richard Daly. I think if we have appropriate evidence, you know, it, it as a lawyer, I'm a lawyer. It, it takes you where it takes you. I talked to uh, I've talked to prosecutors in the past, and good prosecutors don't look at the people; they look at the offense and the crime that's involved. And like I said, it takes you where it takes you, and if that's where it takes you, so be it. You have to look at it blindly. You know, justice is blind. You know, it's supposed to be that way. And, and in America, that's what we hope to be. You know, you may not be, if the you're the recipient of, of it or you're yeah. the person that gets, you know, gets prosecuted. But if you know you did wrong, you did wrong. You have to pay that. You pay the piper. So I well, don't look at it for a person, you know, specific to a person. If that's where yeah, the crime the takes Chicago you, that's what you need to investigate. Uh, $55 million in, uh, in lawsuits based on uh, uh, illegal, not illegal, but um, unjust sentencing of people, and they have been found innocent, and it has cost the city over $55 million. Where does that lie with that liability? Does it lie with the police or with the prosecutors or with the judge? If there's, you know, you have to go where the wrongdoing is. It may be all three. All three could be culpable in that situation. Mm-hmm. But again, would, you have to look at the facts of, of each individual case, and if that's where it takes you, that's what happened. That's what it is. The process. If you, hmm? What would be the process of the city council uh, to look into that trail of these many lawsuits that have been won? I don't know how many lawsuits of uh, police misconduct have been lost, but there has been at least $55 million uh, of lawsuits that have been won in Chicago. Where does the city council come in at at, uh, reviewing this here process of how it's costing the taxpayers, uh, you know, take, for example, even the, the John Birch lawsuit, which that only resulted in $5 million of lawsuits. But well, it was more than the $5 million in, in, in judgments that were received. I think Aaron Patterson himself got $5 million. Um, uh, and I know they spent millions of dollars in, in legal fees uh, for John Burge. I don't know exactly. You may know how much they were in particular. Also come in to try to address this burden of uh, money that's being, uh, again, this is just the result of the lawsuit. It does not address in the legal fees that the city is putting into these cases. I think that as the, the function of the alderman should be to investigate, if, if appropriate, uh, any city officials that were culpable, that, that would be for the police, because the state's attorney and the judges would be under the county's jurisdiction. So you would look at the police department at their role in any wrongdoing, and again, the evidence takes you, takes you where it takes you. And it well, shouldn't be because uh, of who someone is or who someone is not. If there's wrongdoing, you, you go forward, and if the statute of limitations uh, provides for it, you, you you refer it out and you make sure that these people uh, stand up for their actions or their inactions. What do you feel about the current uh, police chief? Uh, are you 
going to be in favor upon you getting in office to keep him, or are you going to push for his replacement? I think that he has done the job to the best of his ability, but I think it's time that we look for a new police chief, uh, one for one, that doesn't cost twice as much as all the other police chiefs have cost, uh, two, someone that, that could instill some uh, trust and respect amongst the ranks and rank and file, but at the same time, make them feel a little uncomfortable. You know, you never feel, you know, you don't want to be, your boss is not your buddy. Mm-hmm. Your boss is someone that's there to do a job, and sometimes if you're a little upset with your boss, that means they're probably doing their job fairly well. Mm-hmm. But I don't see paying a police superintendent twice the going rate. I, I just thought I had a problem with that. And right now, and as budget conscious as we should be, yeah, I think we can get a very good superintendent for dollars $160,000 as opposed to three hundred and five or however much the current superintendent is receiving. Mm-hmm. Well, we, um, let me ask you this political question. What's your position on the uh, mayor's race? I'm a little upset with where we're going with this mayor's race, but as it stands, you know, there's people in the race, they are there. I went to a forum last Saturday, and the person that I was really impressed with, and I'm going to tell you the two people that I was impressed with, one was Dr. Van Pelt Watkins, who gave a clear vision for the city and, and seemed to make a lot of sense. And one of those people that left when I was there, one of the people that had the best response at that forum was Miguel Devalier. People walked out of there having a, a, a different viewpoint of that gentleman, and I did as well. Uh, unfortunately, a... and, and as well as I like Carol and I like Doc, I think that personally I like them both very well. Uh, they got into a thing with each other a little bit too much, and I think it took away from the spirit of the debate. And I think that Dr. Van Pelt Watkins took advantage of that, and, and I think she got some high marks for that. Are you taking a position of supporting a particular candidate? No. No. Um, my position is that that should be a function of the of the committeemen in this ward, of, of all the wards, and I'll let the committeemen make endorsements. Of course, I will be voting, and I, like I said, I went to the forum to listen to what everybody had to say, and I left out of there, you know, looking at candidates a little differently than I did before I went there, and I'm going to make my decision on election day just like everyone else and vote my interest. Do you think that the uh, community, matter of fact, uh, um, if I'm holding you up, let me know. Uh, no, no, go ahead. I got a few more engagement. Um, but as we get into that political uh, questioning, do you feel as though that the alderman should have a political agenda opposed to just a legislative and a community service agenda? <laughs> An alderman always has a political agenda, whether you know, even though their job is nonpartisan and it's not supposed to be. Aldermen always have some sort of political agenda because without it, they would not be elected. All candidates. I'm asking that question to the point that uh, upon a resident looking at you as a leader, and they are not in a position to decide who they want to vote for, mayor or city clerk or whatever position they may be, because the alderman is somewhat the closest elected official to the uh, the residents, should they look to the alderman 
for political direction? No, they should not. They should look to their commitment for political direction if they choose that direction. Now, what I think they should do as your alderman, as and I guess I'm differentiating from your alderman from as from your candidate. Unfortunately, as candidates, you and I don't have the luxury of being partisan in a race because we want to try to get as many votes from our constituents as possible. What we want to do is highlight our platforms and our vision for the city and hope that people will be responsive to those positions. I don't think that they genuinely, and I've been talking to a lot of people throughout the ward, and they all have varying ideas on, because this is a, a different time. We haven't had this in a long time where we have an open seat for mayor. It's really interesting, and it's it's different. And I admit this is a different time. We've I've I'm only 47 years old, and this has not happened to me. Definitely not as a voting individual. Uh, someone you know, with the exception of someone, pretty much has already been there, with the exception of uh, when when Harold died. And, well, uh, and even then, my again, father was there. But that I know your time is limited. But I do want to uh, reflect on your father. Yes, sir. What do that you know of that his most humbling experience of being the mayor of the city of Chicago? His most humbling experience would have to have been um, being seated. I mean, it was an ex- it was an exciting time, but. It was a troubling time for him because people had a a perception of him that just was not true. Uh, Just because my my father was able to, you know, he had been an alderman for quite some time at that that point. He had had a very good relationship with people across the aisle, both black and white, Latino. And people considered him a person that knew how to get things done. And certain people, particularly, you know, us, in the black community, took that as some sort of um, concession towards, you know, that he was conciliatory towards white people, and that was not the fact. That was not true. My father was truly a black man. He was a race man. You know, he was from Alabama. He was there with Dr. King. He was one of his, you know, at college uh, with the Alphas, they they used to watch his house. So he fully understood the plights of of African Americans back then in the 50s because he was there. People just did not understand that, and it, it bothered him. That was probably the thing that bothered him the most, that the people that he was there to represent, number one, were suspicious of him, I guess you could say. Would you call that the the good times of being an alderman compared to now? Because it seemed as though then the uh, maybe the there was a different – Flow or a different attitude. There were more of, and I, if I can use my own personal assessment, uh, uh, Mayor Sawyer was somewhat uh, prior to even becoming the um, the mayor. He was a a boss in a sense. He did call the shots, sort of sense. I don't know how you well, can I'm not disagreeing that. with you, but he he was able. I mean, he was, was able to produce of a boss to a great extent. How do you interpret that, even that attitude of Alderman when he was compared to now? 
Well, you have to look at it. He was in a situation where he ground. had a great water. I'm a ball sorry, back there. I'm sorry, what did you say? I Do I have any grounds to call him somewhat of a boss back then? Well, a lot of the aldermen, a lot of the effective aldermen back then were called that. Um, mm-hmm. He had the benefit of an excellent organization, uh, a good group of community people that put in the work. We were the number one vote getter in the city of Chicago here in the Sixth Ward, not the number one black ward, the number one ward. Period. Right. Mm-hmm. So these were things that. And I keep telling people, and then we always got the best of service. I, I try to tell that. We have a young forum here every Friday, and I tell people, I, I was talking to a young gentleman, he, he was telling me that voting really didn't matter. I said, voting matters a great deal, young man. When you vote in great numbers, people look at you. When your menu items get to be, you know, you talked about earlier about the $1.7 million menu items, when you start getting a little extra, uh, another piece of chicken, so to speak, in your, in, on your menu, uh, that's because of how you vote, how you can produce, how you deliver. And when you do that, mm-hmm. services come to you. you know, we have shagging, but there are a lot of non-shagging positions. When you produce, when they see that you produce numbers, you get your constituents in those non-shagging exempt positions, deputy commissioner, commissioner, uh, supervisors, and the like. That way, when you need services in your community, you can go pick up the phone and make a phone call. Hey, John, I need, you know, we need, on 75th Street, we need this done right now. Now, That's what it was back then. That's how, you know, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but when you have an organization, when you were able to put people in great positions that were able to take care of their families and retire and, and, and send their children to college, while they're in those positions, when things were getting done, things got done. There to your benefit, to your city's black, benefit, to your neighborhood's benefit. There is a black caucus, an active black caucus now in the city council, and there has always been a black caucus per se. But still today, the general public do not know that there is a black caucus. Um, do you believe that there should be a black agenda for the city council, and should that black political agenda should come from the elected officials or should it be coming from the black community at large? Well, the black agenda... Political. Black political political agenda? Okay. Correct. Should that come from the body of the black caucus or should that come from an independent body uh, separate from elected officials. I believe that the black political agenda should be coming from those group of black committeemen. I mean, there are the partisan political party representatives of each ward. You know, we have not had a powerful committeeman since, oh, wow, I can't even, you know, since the 80s. Is that being associated with the Democratic Party? When you say it should come from the committeemen, based well, on yeah. most of the committeemen are Democrat, would that well, say we, there is a black Democratic Party, or should there be a black independent party? I'm trying to get well, a distinguish between the two. Well, every ward has a Republican and a Democratic committeeman. For example, we have, you know, in the sixth ward, you have a Democratic committeeman, you have a Republican committeeman. Is the Republican and the Democratic committeemen 
uh, of, say, of the Sixth Ward band together to represent a black political agenda? In the past, they have. Yes, they have. I mean, the they have. The yeah. yes. I mean, most. And if you re, if you look at it in the Seventeenth Ward as well, in the past, the Black Democratic Committee and the Black Republican Committee are usually uh, closely connected. Matter of fact, you probably in the Seventeenth Ward, six, thirty-four, twenty-one. The Black in years gone by, the Black Democratic Committee was very instrumental in making sure that the Black Republican Committee got elected. Okay, I mean, yeah, matter because of fact, they I did have it. a black agenda. It was not because of Democrat or Republican. It was black. Mm-hmm. Right. You had to maintain that power base and consolidate it. Mm-hmm. So you work so both sides of the aisle. We don't have that. We don't have that agenda right now. That, uh, that I did hear you say that you're going to kind of rest the politics with the commitment, but uh, there is a cloud over the aldermen that they somewhat call the shots, regardless if there is a commitment. Uh, how will people view you as an alderman? Are you going to be that inclusive personality, or are you going to be the one that calls the shots? Well, I've always been known to be very inclusive. People that know me all my life in this neighborhood, you know, I'm a person that makes sure that I'm a consensus builder. I'm a person that wants to make sure that all the areas are connected, that all of them are informed, and make sure that I provide exemplary service to the community, well, whether uh, politically or maintenance. We have a caller on the line. Uh, Sonia? Thank you. You're listening to Black Wall Street USA. I'm Sonia Perdue with host Ron Carter, chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago. Our host this evening is Rod Sawyer, and let's go to area code 301. You're on the air with Black Wall Street USA. Did you have a a question for us this evening? Uh, Yes, I do. Thank you for taking my call, Sonia. I appreciate appreciate it. How you Um, doing, Sonia? Uh, I'm sorry. How you doing, caller? Where are you calling from? I'm calling from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. My name is Bob. Thank you for taking my call. uh, Okay. We we talked before, correct? Uh, yes, we have. Yes, we have. Did you know what I ran for school district? Yes, I did. I ran for school district uh, last term in, in uh, September and November. Yes, I did. Yes. Well, what's your question, Bob, or your comment? Uh, yes. Uh, even though I may have issues with the candidate, uh, Alderman uh, Sawyer, concerns uh, of crime and, and where it emanates from, I, I, I don't think it emanates from <clears throat> lack of jobs and uh Opportunity. There's something else going on there, but needless to say, you know that's not a big stickler, uh, you know. And of course, I'm not a voter in Chicago, but I, I like to get your view on uh, <clears throat> this whole issue of because when I was involved in the, running for the board of education, you know, the lottery and gaming here in Maryland, they were saying, hey, if we got gaming, we could you know tax it and get more money for our schools. And I would always say, you know, be it um, Atlantic City, Detroit, uh, now Pittsburgh, or uh, 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 Biloxi, Mississippi, give me the template. Give me the model where gaming has worked for a municipality. Uh, gaming is a, is a vampire. It will suck uh, the blood out of the community. Whatever disposable income you have for savings or for your kids' education 
or for vacation, whatever, that gaming, that casino will suck it out of you. So uh, it, maybe you can expound, you know, maybe you know more than I do, uh, uh, Mr. Sawyer, about uh, casinos uh, being, the, you know, uh, not a panacea or just adding some life, some vitality to a district or a city. I've never seen it. I know Detroit has casinos now. They have three casinos, and it's done nothing, nothing for, for the city and the people. So um, maybe you, you know, if, I, I don't know if you, how, how much you're supporting the, the, the issue of having casinos in Chicago, but if you can expound on that and why you think that would be viable for the city. Certainly. And what I said clearly was that I support discussing it further very seriously. That that was my exact statement. I didn't say that I was all gang home. You know, let's have them open tomorrow. I said we need to start looking at things seriously with the issues of tourism, social impact, the economic impact. These are things we have to look at very seriously before we make that decision. You know, I, I don't want to just say that I'm I'm all for gambling right now. Let's open it up, uh, have a casino right now. But I think because of the economic climate that we're in, we need to look at new revenues, and I want to look at that very seriously before we make a decision. And we need to look at it with those items in mind. That's what I'm, that's what I'm advocating. I'm not advocating. I'm not a proponent of the casinos per se, but I think that we need to look at these things very seriously. Okay, okay. Thank you for that, sir. Um, Thank you. Uh, one last thing, if you don't mind, about sure, education no in the city of Chicago. I, I actually, I, I went to a graduate school down in uh, Champaign uh, back in the early 90s, and uh, I, I, several students, several people came, you know, of course, from Chicago and, and, and all over the state of Illinois there. Got a lot of friends in the Chicagoland area. Um, on, on the issue of education and your, your school board, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, do you have a citywide elected school board, or is it all appointed by the mayor? Does the mayor have control of your schools, or, or is it now? Currently the, the mayor currently oh, the mayor's wow. appoints the school board. Wow. And I've been consistent in all my questionnaires and all my uh, Facebook pages and things of that nature. I've advocated for an elected school board uh, citywide. I think that's something else we should be developing and we should have an elected school board. The people should be electing our, our school board members. And our, our the head of our school board is, has not been an educator for the last uh, several years, which I think what is also trouble. What about a superintendent? That's what I'm talking about. Oh, okay, In effect, okay. we have a CEO, which would be the similar to uh, what we used to have superintendents. We no longer have superintendents. But our, the CEO of our public schools is not an educator or someone with education experience, and I think that's wrong. Wow. Oh, thanks wow. a lot, Bob. So that's what's holding you back? Yeah, thanks a lot, but stay on the line you. if you please, okay, because sure. we have another caller that Sonia is not uh, aware of. I snuck one in. Uh, we have uh, June Northley from next door to your ward um, and in your area. Um, June? Good evening, Mr. Sawyer. Um, and, Good evening. Um, of course, we are delighted to have you on this program. My question is for the sixth ward. Can you name a couple of unique features of your ward that you hope to develop um, that will um, bring a more uh, 
holistic and move you towards some of those goals that you want to achieve in your ward? What are some characteristics that the people in the sixth ward can see you working very hard to develop and expand on? Well, I have one that I think I share with the 17th ward that I really would like to work on, at least partially. We have uh, boarding our ward and boarding portions of the uh, 17th ward are transit stops, 95th, 87th, 79th, 69th. We have these transit stops. Between those four transit stops, we have at least 33,000 people each day traveling those places, traveling to and from on those transit stops. Yet we have nothing to offer them, nothing in the form of economic, you know, uh, that supports the economy. When I say that, I have we have no real parking rides. We have no uh, shops where people can purchase items to eat. Uh, for businessmen or college students or school students, copy places where they can get things done on their way to and from uh, wherever they need to go. We need to create an economy around our transit stops. Matter of fact, the, the economy is called a transit-based economy, where we can generate millions of new dollars in income and, and tax revenue, create new businesses, create employment. These things could be happening very quickly. Currently, for example, on 69th Street, it is completely vacant, with the exception of a McDonald's. Uh, right next to the L stops, there's nothing there. We should be creating that transit-based economy that can extend outward throughout our, our, our business thoroughfares, throughout those same uh, business streets right there. And I think those are one of the things that I'm trying to advocate uh, that will uh, jumpstart our economy on these, on these business strips. Well, you know, there is propositions that 69th Street is uh, speaking of from Halsted to Ashland to be another proposed Black Wall Street district. Um, and I have not heard of that concept before, as you just mentioned it, that maybe uh, for 69th Street that we could put that in the realm of our plans and uh, to uh, to expand on that for that Black Wall Street district uh, west of where you're speaking of, in addition to the uh, 79th and in, in uh, State Street, uh, where that big vacant uh, property is at. So, yes, That's I'm going to be the ultimate next door to you, so we got a lot of work to do, don't we? That's right. we got a lot of work to do together. And, and we need to stop thinking about it as, as in terms of uh, being proprietary. Like I said, I want to help you, and I hope that you want to help me so we can make the whole area look great. Well, you know, we started off based on in the 6th Ward, uh, where you're located, uh, with the 75th Street, that have uh, there's still a lot of work to do as far as Black Wall Street uh, is concerned. Uh, the uh, lady that was just on the line, June Northley, she was one of the original organizers in the uh, uh, on the 75th Street. So yeah, there is a an ag a collective agenda, uh, and with that, are you is there? That kind of goes back with the earlier question when I spoke about a black political agenda. Is there a need for a black economic agenda to be presented in the city council? And is that fair to 
council as a whole for there to be a black agenda on city council floor. I studied economics for quite a while. I thought about uh, my major was in finance, and I did have my Series 7 license, and, and I studied econ economics for quite some time. I don't think we should legislate it. I think we should do it. You know, I don't think it's something that we need to legislate. I think that's something that we need to start working on and doing. You know, I, I don't believe in legislating economics, and we're looking at things that I don't think we want to even get into. I think we need to support the free market economy, but we need people that have that mindset that we need to support and buy these black, you know, get involved in these black businesses. So I, I guess I would disagree a little bit with it being legislated, but I do think it should be done. Mm -hmm. Okay. So uh, are you uh, you still have time with us? or? You well, actually, I, I just noticed that it was past the time. I'm supposed to be somewhere else, and I'm already late. I see it's 8.15, mm -hmm. and I was supposed to be gone at 8 o'clock. But I, I got involved in the conversation, and I appreciated that. Mm -hmm. Well, Mr. Um, Sawyer, we haven't ran into each other on the streets. I can say why we haven't, based on both of our strong uh, agendas of what you're doing in the 6th Ward and what I'm doing in the 17th Ward. Uh, but I definitely have to take my uh, my preference of that the current alderman uh, do need to retire. And just one little question on that. Uh, how do you feel about term limits? My belief in term limits is that it's in the hands of the electorate, but at the same time, the times are not like it was when, for example, my father was in office. And I've been consistent with telling people this. I have no desire to be there for a really long time. I want to, more importantly than me being alderman, I want to establish an organization where we can have young men and women get involved in the electoral process and community activity and rise up so they can become aldermen and state representatives and, and mayors. We need to start moving aside and letting these young people have an opportunity. That's one of our other problems that we have. We don't, particularly in the black community, we don't let give our young people a chance to get involved in this process by being one of these elected officials. I'm hoping to, to produce other aldermen and state representatives and mayors and governors, hopefully. You know, this is what my desire is. Well, 47 years old, I mean, you're still a young man. Come on now. <laughs> but we need to, I mean, but, you know, we don't see a lot of uh, 40 and 50-year-olds uh, active in politics like we used to, or 30-year-olds. We have to mm -hmm. go out and, and take it. You know, we have people in office 30 years that are holding on to these offices like grim death. Like they can never get another uh, position or another job. And then that's what people are considering these things, jobs. It's not a job. This is public service. Public service, okay. you need to do your service and move on. You know, I'm a lawyer. I, I'm a lawyer. I'm a licensed real estate uh, broker. I, I had, like I said, Series 7. I think I can find a job if I need to find a job. I'm not doing this to get a job. You know, I'm doing this to serve. I and, you know, when I think my service is complete, I'm going to move on. I'm going to look for a young person to take my place and, and, and replace me. Mm -hmm. Very good. Well, we are going to be following up with you on that, that parity uh, legislation of the contract procurement, and um, we're definitely going to look for you to uh, your, your PR person is definitely on the case. 
she is. <laughs> yes, she is. Being That's a chin. Yeah. publisher, I can say that she is more diligent than any other candidate uh, that's running when it comes to South Street Journal. So, uh, And she does it even, all over. I, I give her her kudos for that. Pardon? I said I give her her kudos for that because she does it all over, not just at South Street, everywhere. Oh, yeah. Well, no, well, she's definitely uh, getting you out there, and it does make it a lot easier for the um, uh, for the publication uh, to make themselves more accessible to you as you're making yourself accessible to them. Uh, oh, I even appreciate if you that. I'll let her know. Out there shaking hands or kissing a baby. That's good news, <laughs> too. That's right. Thank you. Welcome uh, again to uh, Black Wall Street, uh, Chicago's Black um, Business Network our blog radio, and we're going to look forward to, we hope to look for you to be on our uh, show before the election again and also afterwards so that we can see how you're going to pursue your automatic agenda. Thank you for having me, and I appreciate that. I appreciate the opportunity, and you will hear from me again. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Okay. That was um, Mr. Rod Sawyer. He is the uh, candidate for alderman in the 6th Ward, which uh, encompassed 75th Street. And 75th Street is the first Black Wall Street district that uh, Black Wall Street Chicago has uh, moved on. So we do welcome him uh, being on our program as we are going to reach out for the other candidates including the 17th Ward. That's going to be a interesting uh, type of question uh, and answer coming from me. Uh, do we have any 17th Ward people interested, Sonia? Well, we're going to reach out to them and find out if they will come over and join us. We're going to ask them the, the tough questions. Yes, we I are. I dare you. I was you a joke, me. Sonia. No, it ain't no joke. <laughs> That's when you say it ain't no joke. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's okay. We got, we got no, we welcome that because it's definitely this is a, a a Black Wall Street, and we got to move forward with our agenda of sustaining and increasing black businesses, even with the oppositions that we have, and sometimes our oppositions are still on our same agenda. Uh, we're going to a break at this point. Is that where we are, Sonia? Yes, that's where we're going, Mr. Carter. Thank you for listening to Black Wall Street USA. I'm Sonia Purdue, founder of Chicago's Black Business Network.com, author of Black America, Asking Ourselves the Tough Questions, Book 1, 2010, which is now available at Amazon.com. Our host is Mr. Ron Carter, chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago, publisher of the South Street Journal, and candidate for alderman for the 17th Ward here in Chicago. And also looking forward to uh, having all of the candidates from the 17th Ward here, right here on Black Wall Street USA. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back with you.
We're back, and you're listening to Black Wall Street USA. I'm Sonia Cassandra-Purdue, founder of Chicago's Black Business Network.com, and our host is Ron Carter, chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago. You were listening to You Are the Source of My Strength by Richard Smallwood, and the second piece was Intro to Check Out Chicago. That's the theme song for one of our new shows, Check Out Chicago, which is on Monday afternoons from 3.30 p.m. to 4.30 p.m. right here on CBBN on Blog Talk Radio. Check Out Chicago with host and actress Keisha Nicole. It's art, it's entertainment, it's Chicago. Keisha will be featuring special guests each week from the arts and entertainment industry, so watch our show pages for details. Also, Keisha Nicole is the founder of the Bronzeville Theater here in Chicago. If you have an interest in theater, you may want to contact her here right right here on CBBN on Blog Talk Radio. That's Mondays, 3.30 p.m. to 4.30 p.m. for Check Out Chicago. The Bronzeville Theater also invites the members and friends of Chicago's Black Business Network.com and the listeners of CBBN on Blog Talk Radio to join them in spreading the word as we are commemorating the 11th annual National Black HIV AIDS Day. The evening will provide attendees with free HIV testing for the community, a play reading, and so much more. That's going to be Monday, February the 7th, so mark your calendars from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. at West Point Baptist Church, located at 3566 South Cottage Grove. February the 7th, 6 to 9 p.m. at West Point Baptist Church, 3566 South Cottage Grove, as we commemorate the 11th annual National Black HIV AIDS Day. There are plenty of ways for you to get involved. They also need volunteers, so please contact Ms. Nicole at 773-617-7160, 773-617-7160. Next, I'd like for you to know that attorney and CPA Derek McNeil is the host of the Consumer Show on Tuesday evenings from 7.30 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. That show has had an excellent reception. We're getting a lot of calls in regard to the information that Mr. McNeil is sharing with our audience. We look forward to having Derek back next Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. As a matter of fact, the theme for that particular uh, show will be mortgage financing, how to understand your loan. Even if you uh, currently have a mortgage loan, you still may have some questions about it. If you're uh, thinking about purchasing in the near future, it would be a perfect time for you to call in uh, with attorney and CPA Derek McNeil. So we hope that you join us next Tuesday right here on blogtalkradio.com slash CBBM. We have two upcoming events in Chicago. On Friday, February the 4th, yes, we're busy, people. We're busy, busy, busy. Uh, we jump-started. January with the first Let's Meet on the Street, that is 35th Street, that was January 7th, and we had some serious networking going there. They did not come to play, they came to connect. So don't miss the next Let's Meet on the Street, Friday, February the 4th, at the offices of the South Street Journal. We will be networking Chicago style at 449 East 35th Street. From 5 p.m. to 10 p.m., we're going to have some special uh, things going on that night, and we will probably be having a live broadcast 
of Black Wall Street USA, where we want you to come over and share your business visions and information with our listeners. So watch for details. You can go to Chicago's Black Business Network dot com. Or you can call me at 312-624-8351, 312-624-8351 for additional information and to our SVP. Now, coming up on Saturday, January the 29th, we're going to do the first video recording uh, from my book, which is Black America, Asking Ourselves the Tough Questions. And we're very excited about that. I will tell you a little bit about the book, Asking Ourselves the Tough Questions, is a formalized five-part question and answer session that began in July of 2010 and ends with the last publication in 2014. The series of books will challenge black America to collectively engage in a dialogue that will initiate solutions to our collective concerns and issues. And let me just express that another way. It's just about all the questions that we have on the bus, in the McDonald's, in the coffee shops, at our dinner tables, sitting around the sofa, the type of questions that we ask ourselves all the time. So what we've done or what I've done is just put these questions in the book and formalize the discussion. I've had two book discussions, one at Avalon Public Library and one at Woodson's Public Library, and we're just formalizing discussions that we have all the time and we're just sharing it with America, and we're very excited about this vision. My vision for the 2014 publication is Black America, Our Questions Answered. Watch for our radio and TV broadcasts as we travel across this country and ask you, Black America, the tough questions. You can visit our site, askingourselfthetoughquestions.com, and record your answers to uh, the questions in the book. The book is available on Amazon.com. But what we would like you to do is join us if you are in Chicago or if you feel like flying in Saturday, January 29th for the first video recording of your answers to the tough questions. That's going to be at 449 East 35th Street, and we thank Ron for the use of his office. We just we just use it up. This is just a community meeting place. It's the office of the South Street Journal, and it is a community meeting place, and that's the type of thing that goes on here. As a matter of fact, we're broadcasting from the office right now, so any night on Thursday, you'd like to come by, please do. But that event, the video recording, and we ask that you RSVP, RSVP, to uh, set an appointment for your video recording. That's Saturday, January 29th, 2.30 p.m. to 4.30 p.m. To answer the tough questions, call me at 312-239-8835, 312-239-8835 to make your reservations or visit the website. Our caller number is 347-326-9477. You're listening to Black Wall Street USA. The chat room is open. Leave your company information and website links in the chat room. That is how we connect. You can also press the number one if you would like to come on the air and speak to uh, our guest, our host, or if you have a question or a comment. Let's bring the chairman of Black Wall Street back on the air. Lots going on. How, Ron? Welcome back to the show. Well, thank you, Sonia. It's good to be back. What did I do during the break? Um, <clears throat> oh no. However, I can almost I can almost guess, but go ahead. <laughs> you can't guess because I have a guest here with me, and I hope you can ah. guess. 
guess with me. Miss Nosy, that's all right. We're on the air. I'm not going to go there. So the question is, though, still, what did black America accomplish in the year 2010? You know, that is a complex question, uh, Sonia, as we continue to work on issues. For example, uh, one thing that uh, we accomplished here at uh, Black Wall Street uh, and with South Street Journal, that there was uh, approximately 25,000 people on the Put Illinois Back to Work program. And we had at least maybe about five of those people working here at uh, the offices of Black Wall Street. We were able to, uh, I think in uh, September, that program was to be um, uh, abolished. Uh, we were successful in getting an extension so that those people can continue to work up to November. And then came November, they were to be, uh, the program was to be abolished again. So we were able to uh, lobby and have that program extended again for those 25,000 people. And then come uh, uh, 2011, that program was uh, actually ended on uh, January the 15th. So even though those were accomplishments as far as jobs that we had extended for those uh, people, come 2011, those people actually lost their jobs uh, due to the state of Illinois Uh, decided not to extend it, indicating that it had other priorities uh, to balance their budget that these people could not work, even though that this program was federally funded, the money that did come from Washington, D.C. So as we had a lot of small victories, even to the point of Black Wall Street, as even in the last year of 2010, we have uh, expanded our base to hell up to now, ooh, uh, going on 13, I'm even losing count, 13 to 14 Black Wall Street districts that was identified and proposed in the year 2010. Still come uh, year 2011, we still have some frustrations, even with our accomplishments. So sometimes our accomplishments create work that we don't always see how much we actually have achieved in, in uh, the year 2010. So when you raise the question, what did black America accomplish in 2010, um, and then what is the number one priority for our communities in 2011, how do we balance it out? How do we feel those victories of 2010 when we still have ongoing issues that's taking us into the year 2011? So the question again, um, what have we accomplished? Maybe if uh, we can look at the, the areas of 
of, of, of dollar signs, how much money has been generated, opposed to how much has not. Um, so the question still remains, uh, what have we accomplished? Maybe uh, June, if you would like maybe to get into this here um, question and make your comments, what have we accomplished? Well, Ron, I, I think that it is such a complex question and that it's uh, certainly a dynamic situation. We're always having small victories and moving forward. Um, I think we should um, applaud ourselves as a community to even want to ask the question. We've moved beyond that inertia that we don't even ask the question. Um, so that's a good thing. Um, but one thing is for sure, um, even if we can articulate what we have done well in 2010, it is not a time for us to rest on our laurels. There is just so much work to be done. Um, uh, when I um, think about um, the educational system and its dysfunctionality here in the city of Chicago and the um, academic and the awareness level of, of, of a lot of our youth here, I am just pained, and as I'm sure a lot of you are. So um, the question for me is, uh, are we going to take the challenge of not having answered all of our questions in 2010 and not having made our achievements to move forward? What do you think about uh, making education a number one priority because without an educated um, constituency, um, there is no progress. Well, education, uh, there is some questions regarding um, magnet schools, charter schools are the way to move our education system. It may produce some results, uh, but I'm concerned that if we have to look at charter schools and magnet schools in, in a way to improve the education, uh, then maybe we looking at privatizing schools, period. Uh, and that's really what it is to me, is privatizing. Um, so education definitely is the, uh, the main focus, regardless of how a student want to take that education, if they want to take it in the form of being a self-reliance and a, a, as an entrepreneur, or they want to be a scientist, or they want to uh, use their education to travel to Mars. Mm -hmm. Definitely uh, education is a key for one's own interest. Uh, but there was, um, um, I guess, a, a method that I've heard came out of China, or came out of China or Japan, I'm not for sure which uh, country that is, is that a child is groomed at the age of three yeah. what they're going to do in their life uh, when, they be, when they become uh, an adult. Mm -hmm. And they have no say-so in changing that course in which the parents, or I'm not for sure if the parents have decided what that child is going to be or if it's going to be uh, the child or the government. But I see right here in Chicago 
right outside our window, uh, there's the Lake Meadow Shopping Center. And the Lake Meadow Shopping Center, uh, uh, the Lake Meadows Complex, is full of, of uh, Asian people now. Uh, when I say full of, uh, it's a complex that has something like uh, 2,000 housing units, and of those 2,000 housing units, approximately 33% of them are of Asian uh, nationality. And those Asians are enrolled in a form of education that their government has sponsored them to be tenants in Lake Meadows as well as sponsor them on what role they're going to be involved in in their education. So they have no say-so uh, in their education. They have been programmed, if that's the right word, on what they're going to do. Uh, can Chicago or the United States take that role with their children to say, uh, at three years old, you're going to be an astronaut and you're going to run uh, General Motors or you're going to be a, um, uh, um, uh, or a doctor or a lawyer. And is that the form of education that we have to have? There is a stereotype about Asian uh, people that they are uh, academically much better. I did ask a Asian person that question, say, why is it that you all are so edu educationally uh, profound in, in, in your academics? And they respond is because you all say that we are, and you all say that we are smarter in uh, math and uh, in science. So it is projected in our minds that we are, and we accept that. So that makes us to become more educationally uh, 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 focused. So I believe that education is somewhat is a society cultural mandate opposed to resting it upon the parent and the child. That that education got to come. From a, it, it's almost like here in uh, the Bronzeville community, the three higher educations here, uh, IIT, the University of Chicago, and the College of Ophthalmology, what is it called? Ophthalmology. Ophthalmology. Those three higher educations do not promote higher education in the community in which they serve and the enrollment of the community in which they're located only have maybe about less than 1% enrolled. And that's the same way with the Columbia University in uh, New York. They're right in the heart of Harlem. And when I was there, I asked the question, how many students from Harlem go to the Columbia University of New York? The answer was zero. So I'm thinking it's more of a cultural identity that the community take on opposed to the parent and the student themselves. Well, um, what you say is uh, somewhat provocative. Um, 
certainly I would not uh, advocate that we adopt a more socialist approach to education that would cause a, uh, a family or cause the state to direct the educational um, outcome for any um, student or for any family. I do believe that it's even more organic, that our concern should be even more organic uh, than that, that it should be, what we have broken is the relationship of the parents and the student and the school. Somewhere, somehow, the LSCs and all of that didn't create the, um, uh, the type of synergy that we wanted, and we've got to get back to it. We've got to realize, I, I don't think anyone has made this mandate in a, and, and made this, connected all the dots, and I hope that um, uh, Brother Roderick over in the Sixth Ward, I hope perhaps dealing with a lot of his, he has a lot of elementary schools in his district, um, I hope that he will uh, take this uh, mandate on and this uh, mantle on, that we have got to get the parents more involved and energized in um, realizing that their very life, their very existence depends upon their ability to communicate to their children the need and the value for education. Without proper education, there is no economy that can go on. There is no health care that can go on. There is just, you just go on and on. Um, because now you have a people that does that do not have a vision, and they don't have a vision because they haven't been educated. So, um, and I just want to say this about your uh, Asian comment, and, and that's very interesting to hear about um, the uh, influx of Asians in the Lake Meadow area and um, those who come over here with that mandate. So you can learn a lot here at uh, South Street Journal and uh, with Black Wall Street Chicago. Wasn't aware of that. But um, recently, on another radio station, there was a young lady who um, was talking about a book she just wrote. Uh, I can't remember the exact name of it, but it was about how to be a good Asian mother. And she talked about the fact that traditionally Asian families, um, certainly those that are like first generation here, um, the Asian family is very strict in their um, process of directing their children. Um, they make it a cultural thing, and I think that's what you said earlier, that it is a cultural thing. For them, it is a cultural thing for them to be uh, in a structured environment and in a structured way to uh, address education and to garner all they can from it. And I, I wish I could think of the name of the book. But she wrote it kind of tongue-in-cheek, but um, the upshot of it is, is that um, her children are certainly exceeding academically. They play instruments. Um, they're in all kinds of extracurricular activities. And that's because she applied the same kind of dictum um, that was applied to her when she was growing up. And maybe we don't have to get that kind of identity, but we certainly do as a community. We have to come back and uh, instill in our youth the very fact um, that education is the key. I know that was the mantra when I was coming up in school. Um, you know, once you've got it, it's yours and no one else can take it from you. And we have to get the parents back. I think the parents are the big key here. So as we uh, get ready to come close to our ending, uh, Sonia, and we talk about the, the process of education, I think uh, 
uh, June really agreed with me, but she just kind of disagreed in a different way. But I think she really kind of agreed with me. In a way, what you say about that? What did you say about that? Right. I I somewhat agree with you. Uh, agree with both of you uh, on your points. There. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, you listen to Black Wall Street USA. I'm Sonia Purdue. I agree both of both of you on all your points. It's such a all uh, of them. It's a tough point. How are you going to yeah. agree with it's both a, of us on all our points? I do wants, agree with you. Let, let me explain. He wants to be so we're going to let him be. Let me, explain. let me explain, Mr. Carter. It is a tough question. And to stay focused, and I'm going to repeat, we're going to repeat it uh, time after time after time because people come away unfocused on the question, what did black America really accomplish in 2010? And what is the number one priority in 2011? The uh, issues are so vast that Time after time after time, we're going to find that no one can even say that there's been an accomplishment or say what the number one priority are because the issues are just so widespread. But one thing I do think is a priority, I understand your points about education and about the family and those type of things, and I don't even know how we get to what I think is the number one priority because it's family to family to family, and then it's community-wide. It's the the deep-seated issues from house to house is what's affecting what's going on outside the house. And yeah. in my mind, and for me, until, and how do you go home to house to house, block to block, and address the individual issues that are going on up in the home to change what's happening where they the in within the home those who need who have mental health issues who are not being treated those in a particular home in the same household who can have uh low skill levels which is not being addressed you can't solve the problem outside the house or what outside the community or what's happening outside until we saw what's going on in the homes, in the heads, in the minds of our people individually in those households, uh, solving the problem of child care within the household, uh, poor child care, uh, the mother's inability to understand what uh, high-quality training is for that child. If the parents do not understand what's required to be a parent or how to produce a productive, positive child in that household, and you send them out into the educational system, it will repeatedly fail. So for me, the answer would be the number one priority is to find out how, and I don't have the answer as to how to do it, what's going on in these households that the people coming out of the households are dysfunctional and not performing, and don't have a collective mindset of community, nation, or pride about themselves. That's what I look at as being a number one priority. How do you teach that? How do you train that? How do you fix that? Especially when people are walking around, and you know it and I know it, dysfunctional and don't know they're dysfunctional, and proud to right be on. in some cases. 
Absolutely. I think that's well said. And I've got a question. One, has anyone uh, come on to say that to articulate a community, a global black community uh, accomplishment? Has anyone said that yet, Ron, Sonia? A global black? Not necessarily global in the terms of global, but nationwide. What have we, what is, has anyone come on to articulate one? Has uh, anyone been bold enough? Well, you had, um, what's that guy, Smiley, uh, tra- what's his name? Savage. Savage. I think he has his black brown agenda roundtable. Uh, but the frustration is is that, uh, my opinion, it should be a black uh, discussion because there definitely wasn't no agenda when they was here in Chicago uh, my uh, reflection of people who were there, it was a discussion because they left without any agenda of marching orders to uh, to move forward. And that was an audience of about 3,000 people. And I believe that happened last May or last March. Uh, so there was the power or the organizing ability to bring the people together but there was not a directive in that collective agenda that could have moved on a national platform as he did go around the country with a form that was called Black Agenda. So, no. Let me say this. And let me say this, Mr. Carter. Uh, We have about 30 seconds. We want to thank you for joining Black Wall Street USA, and it, it was really getting good. You needed another hour, didn't you, Ron? We, uh, and that's how it's going to be coming up as we put that question forth, June. It is a difficult question, and, and, you're, and that's a uh, good question that you answered and uh, asked, and we look forward to you being back with us again, June. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Black Wall Street USA as we sign off for the evening. Let's talk about nothing but success in 2011. Thank you for joining us. Good night, Ron, and good night, June. Have a great, blessed evening. Good night. Good night. Oh, you balanced it out.